Well, good morning, friends. It's uh, wonderful to be gathered as the church family this morning. Again, if you're a guest, we're just really glad that you're here with us, that you would take time out of your Sunday to be here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Brandon, and I have the privilege of of serving as one of the pastors here at Frontline. So as we dive into our text today, I want to invite you in this moment to pray for me as I pray for you. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to, to get to gather together this morning as the family of God. And I pray that you would meet each of us in the ways that we need to be met. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray that you would speak to our minds and to our souls. And God, that today would not just be another sermon that we hear, but it would be a moment of transformation. And God, I pray that your word and your spirit would transform our hearts into the likeness of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, in the summer of 2014, my wife Molly and I were living in Panama City, Florida. And so we got to spend quite a few summers there, but during the summers, I really began to dive into saltwater fishing. It was something that I became really passionate about really quickly. I loved chasing after redfish and trout and kingfish and all kinds of species. There's so many species in the ocean. It's not just bass fishing. But that particular summer, my buddy Jeff and I, we really wanted to kayak fish. And so we wanted to both kayak fish out in the Gulf and in what is called West Bay, which is just north of Panama City Beach. So we got kayaks. We started studying how to target redfish. We talked to local fishermen. I started reading all kinds of articles like I do when I dive into any hobby. And I started learning everything I possibly could about kayak fishing, both in the Gulf and the Bay. But it just so happened that the week before we went on our first trip, I read an article about how to survive a lightning storm. One morning, we left our condo. It was 5 a.m. We headed out on this adventure. The spot that we actually wanted to fish that day was about a two-mile paddle out into the middle of this bay. So we checked the weather, we checked the tide, and we checked a host of other things, and everything looked good. But about a mile into our paddle we heard and saw what looked like a bomb going off. So about 100 yards in front of us, there was this loud crash and this huge flash of light, and we realized really quickly that it was lightning and that we were caught in the middle of this storm. It had kind of just sprung up from the gulf, come across the beach, and was in the bay. It started pouring. There was no visibility whatsoever. But by God's grace, my friend Jeff was able to spot an island, and the island was really no bigger than the stage that I'm standing on. So we knew that we needed to get out of the water. So we got to the island, we, we jumped off our kayaks, we spread out, we went to either side of the island, and we literally got down, because of this article I had read, we got down into the fetal position, and we were covering our eyes and our ears because we knew that there was going to be so much lightning and, so much, and it was going to be incredibly loud. And for the next 15 to 20 minutes, which felt like an eternity, bombs were going off all around us constantly for 20 minutes. It was terrifying. It was loud and bright. And literally in that moment, all we could do was pray. But the storm passed. And as soon as it passed, Jeff and I just hugged each other. (laughs) We thanked God, and then we paddled as as fast as we could back to the truck. We didn't fish that day. We were out. 
if Jeff in that moment hadn't been able to spot that island, and if I hadn't read that article and been, been able to instruct us on how to take cover, the outcome of that day could have been really different. And I'm honestly not sure we would have survived. I think it's a miracle that we weren't struck by lightning that day. Had either one of us been alone, I think the story could have been really, really different. The outcome of that story could have been tragic. We needed each other that day. Had Jeff not been able to spot the island, had we not been able to like spread out and do the things we did, we needed each other. And here's what I found to be true in my study of the scriptures. As followers of Jesus, we need each other. We are better together. In fact, the picture that we get of the early church in Acts 2 is that they spent a considerable amount of time in circles. They spent a considerable amount of time sitting around each other's tables in their homes doing life together. In other words, I think they were living out healthy community as a rhythm of grace that God has given to us, and he's given it to us to shape us and form us. On the one hand, this actually may feel like a strange thing to draw attention to and to name as an important Christian practice. Community as a word and as a business model is intensely popular. Coffee shops exist for community. Taco Tuesday, community. CrossFit gyms working together to bring community around the idea of fitness, and the list could go on and on. But on the other hand, while all this is true about a popular value, I think we all kind of feel this in different ways in our cultural moment, that we're less anchored in spiritual friendship. We're more anxious. We're more invested in social media platforms and face-to-face relationships. Sometimes we can feel further from being truly known than we ever have. There's a massive gap between value for community and the actual experience that we have when it comes to meaningful community that pushes us towards Jesus. And it's not surprising to me that we desire, that this desire for community would be so popular in our moment. It's just like everything, a lot of things going on in our culture, we want that they belong to God, but we don't want God to be a part of them. We want justice. We just don't want God to be our judge. We want dignity for every person. We just don't want God, the actual giver of life. We want peace, but not the Prince of Peace. We want blessing, but we don't want the blessed God. We want community, but we don't want the God who's existed eternally in community in the Trinity. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, it's a snapshot of the early church. And I believe it has significant relevance for us today as we consider the practice of community as a rhythm of grace for each of our lives. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2 and be there with me as I read this again in a moment. But first, I want to give you some context on Acts chapter 2. So Jesus has been crucified, he's died, he was buried, and then he resurrected. And now he's starting something new. Acts 2 signifies a really, a really big shift. God had been working through Israel, but now he was going to be working through the church. He had been working through the Jewish people, but now he was going to be working through the nations. And in chapter 1, the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. In chapter 1, the disciples were equipped, but in chapter 2, the disciples were empowered. In chapter 1, the disciples were held back, but now in chapter 2, they're sent forth. 
In chapter 1, Jesus ascends, but in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends. And so that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. So with all of that in mind, I want to read it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were what? They were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so if you're not familiar with this passage, the the 41 verses prior describes the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches this incredible sermon, and 3,000 people respond with faith and baptism. Amazing. And so let's start by looking closely at verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple courts together and breaking bread in their homes. The first thing that we see is that the early church did meet in large gatherings. They met in the temple courts. And I love what we get to do on each Sunday, gathering and worshiping together as a church family. And if you missed Charlie Hall's sermon from last week about the importance of the Lord's Day, please go back and listen because it was incredibly powerful. But in the second half of this, fir- this verse, it reveals something really significant. They were sharing meals in their homes and they were living life together. And it appears that they were doing this daily, day after day. They did more than just meet in large groups. They met in smaller groups. They met in rows like we do here on Sunday, but they also met in circles. They didn't simply attend an event once a week. They actually broke bread and they did life together. I want to unpack why I think this rhythm of grace given to us in community is so vital for each of us sitting in the room this morning. And so first, I think what we learn from this text is that we are better together spiritually. We're better together spiritually. They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so the word devoted in this verse is incredibly important and significant. In the original language, it's not just a one-time verb. When we think of devotion or a vow, often we think of this one-time commitment or decision that we make, but it actually means a continued steadfastness. A continued steadfastness, or in other words, constantly giving unrelenting care to something. So the early church was pursuing this daily and continually, day after day. Their pursuit was not a solitary endeavor. They sought God, not just individually, but they sought God in each other as they learned and prayed and celebrated with one another. And so I believe this is why the Apostle Paul wrote things like this in Ephesians 4. He says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body, the family, the community, so that it builds itself up in love. When each of us are participating in this grace we call community, we're better. We need each other to build each other up in love. 
We need each other to grow in maturity as we follow Jesus. We need each other to be further equipped, as Paul said. We need all parts of the church body, and that includes you. We're better together spiritually. Verse 42 also uses the word fellowship. And so I didn't grow up going to church much, but one thing I've noticed is that many churches have what they call a fellowship hall. And I heard a pastor say once that in the church he grew up in, he equated fellowship hall with snacks and potlucks. And in fact, at his church, they didn't call meals potlucks. They actually called them pot blessings because luck isn't a Christian virtue. But no matter our perspective of the word fellowship, it's important for us to understand what it really means. It's not just where we think socializing happens. It's actually much deeper and much richer than that. The word fellowship in in Greek and here in Acts 2 is the word koinonia. And a helpful definition is a deep spiritual friendship. And now I don't think that what, I, I, I do think that what we're doing here today is fellowship. When we gather on the Lord's Day, when we meet in Bible studies or our community groups, when we go on a hike, grab coffee, I think all of those things have aspects of what fellowship really is. But if we're honest, I think most of those instances are pre-planned, right? They're pre-planned. And when we use the word stop by any time, what do we actually mean? Call. Call me first. We'll schedule it out. We'll get it on our calendars. That's typically what we mean when we say stop by any time. But fellowship is more like inviting a friend to experience all of life, even when it's chaotic. There's laundry on the floor, there's dishes everywhere, the baby's crying, your kid's toys are all over the house, which is a phenomenon to me because our kids clean up every day and then as soon as I come home, the toys are everywhere again. Koinonia is when a loved one passes away or you're sick. And your friend comes to take care of you. It's getting up early with a friend and praying and confessing sins to each other. It's seeing each other on the good days and the bad days day to day. Tim Keller says this about spiritual friendship. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for difficulty life, all the difficulties life can throw at us. And friends, this morning, we experience the greatest spiritual friendship in Jesus. We were not mere distant friends of God, but we were actually enemies of God. All of our sin fully known, yet Christ died for us, and he died in our place. For those whose trust is in Jesus for their salvation, our sins are forgiven, and we are now a part of God's family. We've been brought into his community, and Jesus is the greatest friend that we could have. And so because of Jesus, we're better together. And so fellowship is not a room And it's not exclusively what we do on Sundays, although what we're doing right now is really significant in so many ways. Fellowship is is inviting someone into our lives. It involves friends where you've 
where you're seen at your best and also at your worst because we're better together. When you don't feel the need to clean the whole house before they come over because life is just messy. The second way I believe that we're better together is physically. We're better together physically. Verses 43 through 45, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So by obeying the apostles' teaching, the church was actually mimicking the most generous man in the world. Jesus shared all that he had in common with them. And the first century church lived in such a way where no one had any needs. It wasn't forced on them in any way. It wasn't socialism. It was simply their response to the generosity that they had experienced from God through Christ. And our God, we know, is a generous and giving God. So their generosity was actually just a response to what they experienced from him. So what does this look like today? It may look like running errands for someone in need. It could be making a meal for someone in crisis. Maybe it's driving someone to a doctor's appointment. Maybe fixing something at someone's home. Maybe watching someone's kids so they can go on a date. And we could list out so many other things. A few weeks ago, my family was in a tough spot. One of our family members desperately needed Molly and I to be with them. So what did I do? I called my friend Seth Stewart. to see if I could quickly drop our kids off so that Molly and I could go be with my family member. His response was quick and kind. If you know Seth, you know that's true. He said, sure thing, drop them off now. I just finished making dinner, and Eric and I will take them uh, to ice cream afterwards. Left my house, dropped off the kids, knowing that they were in really good hands. And in fact, Seth and Erica bought each of my kids their own half gallon of ice cream. (laughs) And so I got to take some home as a gift. And so I want to point out this morning that I honestly could have spent probably this entire sermon like just sharing stories of that happening all across our church. There's so many wonderful and beautiful stories of people being cared for. And, and the truth is that we're better together physically. And I want to point out, too, that I think this is a, a great strength of our church. It's a testimony to our Seeger leaders and many other people uh, in our church. And so I just want to encourage you guys this morning that let's keep doing that. Let's keep fighting for that as a church. Let's keep moving towards each other and meeting each other's needs. Because the reality is living in community allows us to meet the needs of those around us, but it also allows us to have our own needs met as well. Living in community, it allows us to go to battle for each other. And so can you think of a time when you were in a battle and someone in your circle entered in to that pain and they battled with you? They stood with you but their shield was linked to your shield and said, man, we're going to get through this together. 
That's what happens in circles between Sundays. Life and ministry happens in the trenches, day to day. Thank God that we can come together on Sundays. But when you're on top of the mountain or when you're in a valley, it's grace from God that we get to live in community. Sometimes we can miss each other's needs if we aren't living in circles. And if that's you today, if you feel like you don't have a circle, I want to help you as your community pastor. So please reach out to me. Please talk to me. Please send me an email. And I want to help you try to plug in to one of our circles, which we call community groups. We would love to serve you and help you find one. So the third way that I think we're better together is emotionally. We're better together emotionally. And I think we see this in verses 46 and 47. Day by day, attending the temples together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. PBS recently conducted a survey to better understand relational connectedness and happiness. And out of that study was produced a documentary called This Emotional Life. And here's a quote from the documentary. Researchers have found that people are happier when they are with other people, surprise, surprise, than when they're alone. And the boost is the same for both introverts and extroverts. And I'm thankful because I'm an introvert. They also are finding that happy people are more pleasant, helpful, and sociable. Being around other people makes us feel happier. And when we're happier, we are more fun to be around, creating an upward spiral of happiness. And I love that, that idea, that visual of an upward spiral of happiness. I've heard depression described as a downward spiral of discouragement. And I've heard this as I've walked with people who have experienced depression. I knew I was believing lies, but couldn't really tell myself what was true. I needed someone to remind me of what was true, and when they said it, it gained more power than I could have ever gained alone. The past couple years have taught us anything. It's that we were made for each other. We were made for each other, and we need each other. We're better together. Studies are showing that our relationships affect who we are both biologically and physiologically. It literally changes our biochemical makeup when we're actually with other people. And if we're honest, I think some of us, we run from our home to our car to our office to our car and back to our home. And we attend an event once a week for an hour and a half. And we wonder why we feel disconnected relationally. Lastly, from our passage, the fourth way that we're better together is missionally. We're better together missionally. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Community actually helps us live on mission. Community isn't just for our benefit and for our formation, but it actually helps us live on a mission in our city. It benefits even those, out, those people outside of our community. And so over the past month or so, we've gotten to experience many baptisms on Sunday here, and it's been awesome. So I hope you've been here, and I hope you've gotten to experience that because it's been really, really fun. And when we get to talk to people about baptism, more often than not, they talk about the community of people that they walked, that walked with them for weeks or months, sometimes years, and even decades that brought them to that point. 
And I know that was true of my story in coming to know Jesus. A man named Brian walked with me. He taught me for months before God finally saved me. He didn't just preach the gospel at me. What was beautiful is he actually did life with me. He introduced me to his family and his friends. He invited me into his home and he cooked me meals. Sunday's friends are the push. And they're a realignment for us to be equipped to live on mission in our neighborhoods, with our families and at work. And our lives between Sundays are the point. Sundays are the push. Between Sundays is the point. That's why we close every Sunday saying this. We have six days. You guys know. Six days to love God, love people, push back darkness. You're placed where you're at on purpose and for a purpose, and we do that together in community. Being on mission is far more, is far more than simply attending here once a week. And did you notice from verse 47 how often numbers were being added to the church, the early church? It was daily. And how would they know that numbers were being added daily if they weren't in some capacity interacting with each other daily? So why does what we do between Sundays matter so much? Jesus says this in John 13, 35. And this is actually a verse that I pray for our church very regularly. Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Praise God, there is a lot of love here on Sunday mornings. In fact, I think when people make Frontline Edmond their church home, I often hear this phrase, it just felt right. I hear that phrase a lot. And there's a lot of love that happens on Sunday mornings, and that's exactly how it should be. I know that's how my wife and I felt when we first started coming to this church about seven years ago. But to love one another the way that Jesus commands us can't simply happen one day a week. In fact, in the New Testament, there are 59 one another commands. 59 commands of what it looks like to live in community with one another. The New Testament tells us to serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, build trust with one another, be devoted to one another, be patient with one another, be interested in one another, be accountable to one another, confess to one another, live in harmony with one another. Don't be conceited with one another. Don't pass judgment with one another. Yes, I'm still going. (laughs) Don't slander one another, instruct one another, greet one another, admonish one another, spur one another on. Meet with one another, agree with one another, be concerned with one another, be humble with one another, be of the same mind with one another. Do not be consumed with one another, do not be angry with one another, do not lie to one another, live in peace with one another, do not grumble with one another, give preference to one another, be at peace with one another, sing to one another, comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Carry one another's burdens. Love one another. Imagine trying to accomplish all of that in one to two hours a week. 
I would submit to you and argue that that's impossible. Is it reasonable to accomplish all those things, meeting together one or maybe even two times a week? Friends in church, we are better together. We were made for one another. We were made to live in circles. We were made for community. Community is a rhythm of grace that God has given to us. And if you feel like you don't need community, that Sundays are enough for you, that's all you have time for, I want you to hear this kindly. I, as your friend and pastor, I just want to call you to repentance because we need one another. A community group in our church needs you to be in it because you bring so much to the group. You bring different gifts and wirings. A group in our church needs you to be a part of it. There's a lot of brokenness in our world, in our lives, and there's a lot of pain. And again, I love what we do together on Sunday morning, singing, learning, and worshiping together. But our Sunday gatherings, again, are the push for us to be in the trenches together, to fight for one another throughout the week, and be on mission together in a city that desperately needs the good news of God's grace and desperately needs the resurrection of Jesus. And we can only do this together. Without the ongoing practice of Christian community, we aren't able to step into and obey the one another's of Scripture. There are different ways this could look, but this is what community groups are about here at Frontline. Smaller gatherings where both Christians and those exploring the faith are welcome. Meeting all over the city between Sundays for the purposes of learning to share life and faith together as a people marked by Jesus. Together, because of Jesus, with Jesus, under Jesus, and for Jesus. This is something different than the practice of the Lord's Day. This is taking the large gathering and putting it into a living room and on a block with a few people that you can really work the faith out with. We can't get around the invitation to community as a, as a follower of Jesus. We can't escape it because I truly believe that you'll burn out without it because we weren't designed to live alone. We're better together. Some of you might be thinking, Brandon, I tried a group, didn't work. Our team and myself personally, we would love to take up that conversation with you and hear about your experience. Because to be honest, I probably have something to learn from your experience. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater as though we can make a new path and a new way for ourselves. A discipleship that is solo, me and Jesus, it's entirely foreign to the understanding of the New Testament. Or maybe you're thinking, Brandon, I tried community and I got hurt. I was hurt by those people. If that's happened, I just want to say I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. If our church leadership can do anything to help you heal, we'd be honored to process with you. But please don't throw away this invitation from Jesus because of painful experiences with other sinners. I want to help you as your pastor. Last thing, community is a discipline. Because often you don't want to go. There's, I'm telling you, I feel this. There are weeks where I don't want to go. But community isn't about you. It's not about me. 
it will grow us, but it isn't about us. Community isn't primarily about what you receive, but about what you offer. And in the same breath, community isn't primarily about what you offer, but it is about what you receive. We are better together. We're better together spiritually. We're better together physically. We're better together emotionally. And we're better together missionally. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your rhythms of grace. I thank you for the way in which you use them in our lives to shape us, inform us, transform us into the likeness of Jesus. I am so grateful, Father, for the ways in which I personally get to witness all of the love and and deep koinonia and fellowship that happens in our church. And I pray that you would encourage my friends' hearts this morning in that, that we would continue to pursue that and grow in that. I pray for my friends in this room who may feel lonely as they're sitting here today. I pray, God, that you would help them find a circle of people that they can do life with. And Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice for us today. We're so grateful that you loved us enough to die in our place and to save us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.